today, um, I read something this week in Genesis, and we're going to read it too in a second. You can actually turn over there. Uh, We're going to actually start in Genesis uh, 37. Um, So you can just kind of open it up. But I want you to lock in to your minds. Um, One of the coolest things about following Jesus um, is that we can expect the unexpected. Okay, I want you to think about that. I want you to think a little bit about that. How, how, how has that been? Has that been, that, that hasn't been my normal thought process is to expect the unexpected, all right? If Jesus really is who he says he is, right? Yeah. And, and God really is that, who he says he is, and the Holy Spirit really is who he says he is, um, then we should expect supernatural things in our lives. Right, that should be an expectation, okay? Uh, I thought this was cool. I saw this picture. I'm like, this is pretty awesome. That would be unexpected. Cut open an apple and there's an orange. You're like, whoa, that's awesome. But you want to know what? We're a, we do something with this. Even as I said the words to expect the unexpected, you want to know what sometimes our minds go to? This is where my mind goes, goes to anyway. It's more like this. <laughs> We're going, oh, yeah, I expect the unexpected. Because it's going to be bad things that happen, right? I, I want an orange and I get an onion, right? And sometimes that's where we go. And the truth of the matter is, like, when I think of that, I think, wow, how little my faith is or how cynical my faith has become. That really is a learning point for me as I've studied this out is how cynical my faith has become where I'm like, oh, I expect the unexpected and it's going to be bad, right? right? I expect it. I expect it like this. Expect the unexpected. That's what I think when I think of this, is, is the poor little dude fishing, you know, and he just wants a, a trout or, or you know, a, a salmon or something, and, and, and here's what he gets right there, right? We, wanna, we just want to lock in. Let's read something about this, though, okay? So Genesis 37, um, man, th- this was really neat, okay? Um, I think for the most part, Uh, Let me just kind of catch you up here, Um, and and I think most of you are familiar with this, Um, is, you know, you have uh, have Jacob, we know Jacob, Jacob actually gets a name change later in the book of Genesis, God calls him Israel, And, and that was really great, on Wednesday night, Rich did a midweek lesson on your name, okay, and what's awesome is, is that for God, your name really means something important, okay, and it really means something. And, and we see God actually giving names to adults, you know, almost like a higher calling or almost, you know, we give names to our children and sometimes they mean really great things, but it doesn't really mean anything because we know them. All right. And so I love that, that God does this. So we have Jacob. Um, he'll end up being called Israel. OK, um, but Jacob had a number of children uh, with essentially four different women. Right. I mean, you have Leah, Rachel, and then they're servants okay and he has um you know a a ton of kids i mean he's got a whole kids kingdom right there in his in his household okay um and his his one of his favorites though was joseph right it's it's your favorite child which we don't we don't admit to i never tell ellie who my favorite is You know, but, but here's the thing about this. And, and now here's what, what, you know, as you read the Bible, sometimes we read it through, like we think everything is so pure in the Bible. But you know what we see here? A lot of dysfunction, right? Oh, yeah. 
we, we do see. It, it is dysfunctional when a, children, a child thinks they're the favorite or dad has said you're the favorite or something like that. And we, we've got to get connected to the word of God and see that, you know, it's kind of comforting to see that the early families that God was so enamored with in building his people were about as dysfunctional as you could get. I mean, it's, it's Jerry Springer, right, way back when. This was pre-Jerry Springer, okay? Is all of these things are happening. And you have Joseph and his brothers, as you guys know, were, were upset and, and said, we, let's kill him, first of all. And then finally they relented and said, no, 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 let's just sell him into slavery, okay? Now, one brother, Reuben, who they named the sandwich after, uh, right, is, is he was good. <laughs> he, was, he was a good brother. That's how you know the sandwich is good, right? Uh, but in... In Genesis 37, uh, in verse 26, Judah said to his brothers, uh, let's not kill him. What do we gain if we kill our brother's brother and cover up his blood? Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him, for he's our brother, our own flesh. I mean, he's so generous here. He's like, what am I thinking? You know, we can't kill him. Let's just sell him because, after all, he is our brother. All right? And they, agree, and they agreed, okay? And when Midianite traders passed by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the pit and sold him for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites, and they took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph wasn't there, he tore his clothes, and he went back to his brothers and says, The boy is gone. What am I going to do? And so they took Joseph's robe, and they slaughtered a young goat, and they dipped the robe in blood, and they sent the robe to the father and said, We found this. Examine it. It's your son's robe. Is it his or not? And his father recognized him and says, It is his robe. A vicious animal was devoured him. Joseph has been torn to pieces. And then Jacob tore his clothes and put sackcloth around his waist and mourned for many days. All his sons and daughters tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will go down to Sheol to my son mourning. And his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of of the guard. Now flip over to Genesis chapter 48, okay? So, um, wow, what, what a tragedy. How devastating that is. I mean, we see a couple of instances. You see Reuben, and he's can't believe. Reuben actually had a plan that he was going to come and, and, and get Joseph, okay? And he wasn't able to do it. And then, then dad, Jacob, is just, what a, a amazing tragedy here. But in Genesis 48, uh, we have this this full circle story goes on okay um and uh, joseph is found by his brothers all right um, after decades of being away from his family in fact joseph now has children okay and he sends word to his dad that guys go home and tell dad i'm alive and bring him down to egypt and then they brought israel down and could you imagine what that would have been like where all of a sudden jacob realizes my son wasn't dead at all like, I'm going down to see him, okay? And in verse 8, he says right here, when Israel, slash Jacob, just so you know, when Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, who are these? And Joseph said to his father, they are my sons God has given me here. And so Jacob said, bring them to me and I'll bless them. Now his eyesight was poor because of old age. He could hardly see. Joseph brought them to him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again, but now God has even let me see your offspring. And Joseph took them from his father's knee and bowed with his face to the ground. 
want you to think about those words that Israel said. I never expected this. I never expected ever that I would see my child, let alone my grandchildren. All right? And I want you to think about all that had gone on, okay? If, if they were separated, let's say, for 30 years, okay? Could you imagine? I want you to picture the parallel lives going on. You have Israel up in Canaan, and he's just going about his business, and he's mourning, and he's weeping, never once considering at all that God is working, that his child is in Egypt, imprisoned at times, right? At other times, promoted at other times forgotten, then promoted again, and then married, and then has children, and he's essentially in charge of saving the known world from a famine. And I want you to think about Israel. Could you imagine that he was living in that time and never once had any inkling that God was working anywhere else in his family? Okay? But just think about that, how ignorance, just the idea of, man, having no idea whatsoever okay and that's what happens to us sometimes right that's what happens even now you know i mean you want to we can even kind of piggyback this onto the christmas story to a certain degree you know when mary is told by the angel hey you're going to have god's child right and can you imagine the teenage girl going i never expected that ever i never paid attention at all to how god works at different times in different places because Oftentimes, what keeps me and probably you too from expecting the unexpected is we pretty much just react to what we see with our eyes. What's in front of us right here and right now? What's in my home? What's in my hometown or on my campus or something like that? And so you have this right here. And, and it's amazing to me uh, because uh, you see how perfect God is. Okay. This is one of the thoughts that came to my mind. God specializes in long-term multi-site transformation. It seems like he does when you think about it. When you read the Bible, there's like things going on in all kinds of different places. And God is working powerfully. And there's, a, there's oftentimes a confluence of all of those things, though, too. Okay, I mean, think about it as when we read, we read about Esther. Did, did Esther know Daniel? Did she know what was going on with Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego? Did all of these different, like, things that are going on? Did they even know? But God is like working in these different places. I want you to think about that is, is how much have you considered how God is working in essentially our lives in other places that has been going on for decades or centuries even, okay? This is what really blew my mind here, okay? It seems like God likes live oaks, all right, better than radishes, Okay, I hate radishes. I've never met a human being that likes a radish. But you know what I think? To, for a live oak to come to maturity, it takes 75 years. And it requires lots of things like squirrels and wind and land. And like there has to be all kinds of different things happen to go get a live oak. A radish is like you put it in the ground and 25 days later you have a radish. And it doesn't taste good. It doesn't taste good at all, okay? But this is the thing about it is it seems like this is God's way. Why should we expect the unexpected? Because everything doesn't get rolled out at once, which is what we want, right? We kind of want the radish life, you know, which is like, just give me everything I'm going to have in the next 25 days. And God is going, no, actually, I've got a 75-year plan, and it's not just going to be with what you see. It's going to be with all of these other 
things that are going on as well. And God going, listen, guys, I want you to expect the unexpected. Not the orange with the onion in it, right? Not that one. Not the fisherman waiting for the shark to come and get him, okay? But this idea of going, hold on a minute. God seems to specialize in multi-site transformation over a long period of time, okay? We really understand this concept when it comes to things like cars and planes and even spaceships there, okay? is the idea that oftentimes where Jacob works at BMW, everything that's, that is in a BMW is not built at your plant, though, right? Like, it comes, there's people doing things away from the BMW manufacturing plant that they have to be doing it, and it has to be shipped in, and then it works perfectly in what's being built in the plant, right? It's the same with planes. It's the same with even the spaceship manufacturing plant. There is, is there's this idea of all of this stuff going on where you, want, you might not even see it. We may never see it, and that should be a comforting thing to us of going, wow, it's not just like what my circumstances are now. It's not just what I see going on. It's not just how this semester was. It's not just how this week was. It's not just how, man, are good things happening to me or bad things happening to me. It's this idea of God working in large areas really through people, places, and times. That's how he does this, okay? Is there are people right now who God is working in their lives that will be in our lives, and we don't know it yet, right? We don't know what that really looks like. This is a pretty neat video right here. This is a time-lapse uh, video on the building of an aircraft carrier. In fact, our newest, largest aircraft carrier. Okay, this is what happens now. Virtually everything is being put together. Do you recognize it as an aircraft carrier right now? Would you know that that would be an aircraft carrier? No, I mean, this is, you're looking at it going, wow, I'm not really sure what they're building. But virtually everything that they're putting together is on off-site. Is there's different companies and crews and groups and technology and different levels of education and specialty and all that kind of stuff. And it's all being brought together into this culmination that we're going to see in about two and a half minutes, okay? But that happens over years of time. And that all of it fits perfectly, okay? So, Jacob, even when, like, when you're building a BMW, if the guy that's manufacturing the, the computer and it just doesn't fit right into the, it messes everything up, right? The precision, this is the thing. I, the, what, what I loved about this video is it shows the precision of what we expect as human beings for a plan to come together, for something to be built, okay? There's a precision of every single little piece to match perfectly within less than millimeters as they put it together. And these are the things that happen every single day in our world, just every single day. Things are built like this, things that, that, that they don't have to be in the same room. The guy that built that part of the ship right there wasn't in the room with the guy that built the, the navigation devices that go into the ship. It's happening all over the place, and people don't even see the people maybe ever. But then over time, could you imagine how frustrating that would be, year, like month after month, showing up, and this thing doesn't even look like shit. Like you're showing up, and you're like, what are we building? It doesn't even look like anything. And then slowly, as the pieces start coming together, and you're going, oh, man, this is starting to look like something very special. And the number of people, if, even from this project right there, how many people right now are working on that? Ah, yes. I mean, you're talking about thousands of people all working together. 
And it's the same thing that's happening right now. God is doing this um, that is going to affect our lives and our families, right? It's going to affect our children, the way God is working. I thought this was pretty cool. I was like, how do they, like, yeah, how do they uh, get the trailer to get that thing down there? <laughs> and while they were building that, they were building new, two nuclear reactors inside of there. Right. I mean, the amount of, right, <laughs> what we aren't seeing is immense what we're not seeing here. All right. And then ultimately you have this, this finished work of the, of the Gerald Ford. And so... You know, why do I say all that? Because that's kind of like a, right, that's a mechanical way of like putting it into perspective of, of we can't even fathom the amount, amount of man hours, the amount of energy and effort and focus and all that kind of stuff. I wonder how much went into Bob over 94 years, okay? I mean, Bob was baptized last week, right? Think about this is how much went on, how many people impacted his life over time what was going on? He was a fighter pilot in World War II. I want you to think, what were you doing in 1943? <laughs> you know, you're going, holy mackerel. And it culminated to him being baptized. And what I loved what John shared about Bob, okay? He said that, you know, Bob was just a grumpy dude over at Clemson Downs. And the nurses have even been saying to John, like, what is going on with this guy? Like, he's a really neat guy now. and We really enjoy being with him. And I don't know what's happening. And, and, and John uh, asked Bob about it. And Bob said, you know, I thought my journey was over. And now I realized it isn't, hmm. you know. And you're talking about in 94 years, if we could look at a schematic of how God worked in all kinds of different places and people and how many disciples came in and out of his life and how many people shared the gospel with him. I mean, can you imagine all that went into that? And again, this is really what, how God works is through people, places, and times, right? Through different times. But here's why this matters. This is why this is so awesome and so incredible. This is because it's a difference between being impossible and possible. It, it, this is the difference right here. When, when I know and I kind of embrace this idea of, you mean right now, God is working in place. I'll give you an example. Abby's dad brings this up often. Okay. As he said, it blows my mind. That some kid from San Francisco, California, married my daughter from Live Oak, Florida. It blows my mind that God was doing all this stuff here, and Abby's doing all this stuff over here, and somehow in Tallahassee, Florida, among 35,000 college students, that y'all got together and are united in Christ. All right? What went into all of that? It's the same as your story. All right? It's that idea of what went into it from when you were little. When the people, the places, the things, the times, the ex here's the thing is, even the experience of the people that came into our lives. All right, there was time put into their lives. And you think of all of these things, and it's, it, it really is amazing, but hopefully it reminds us to expect the unexpected. That when I just expect things to be like, you know, worldly, non-supernatural, non-miraculous it tends to be that way that's my experience when i when i expect it to be just like non like a uh, uh, miraculous lifestyle there tends to not be any miracles it's the difference between the impossible and the possible okay it's the idea of even maybe you've heard before too god's done with you 
He's got nothing left for you. And when we start expecting the unexpected, we're going, hold up a minute. That, that actually has to be false. Because we see God working with people who are young, teens, older, elderly. All right, think of all the elderly people that God used in a powerful way in the Bible. Okay? How many of them were there? I mean, tons, okay? Was that all of them? Did God just, like, pick out the 15, like, really awesome elderly people, and that's who he talked about, the Caleb's and all that kind of stuff? There's probably countless more, okay? It's the difference between the impossible and the possible, okay? When we start thinking, man, this is impossible, or, or I'm not even comfortable feeling like expecting the unexpected, here's where, and this is the side of it for me, is, is I realize, man, my faith can dwindle to a point where really I'm not even believing God is really that powerful. Like, he's not really that strong. He's not really that able. He's not really, like, willing to do this anymore, okay? And then it's easy to get caught up, like, oh, no, no, I believe he'll do it, but I just don't think he wants to do it, okay? But you know what's amazing is, is it seems like people just had faith in him and he did it, all right? It didn't seem like there were all of these kind of, kind of mental calisthenics, okay? Here's the big one, though. This is really, for me, this is a big one. Why does this matter when I, start, when I start really understanding God working in places I'm not seeing, events coming together, you know, him, him working in the lives of people that may not come into our lives for decades? When I start understanding and believing that that's happening right this second, yeah. all right, when, when I start thinking that way, then all of a sudden there's a difference between letting go and hanging on. All right, remember in Philippians 2, it says that Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He just let that go. Could you imagine if we had that opportunity? We would hold on so tight. No, God, I want what you have, how you have it, that you have it right now. I want the power, the strength, the glory, all of that right now. I said, Jesus, there's a difference as we follow him in letting go and hanging on. And as long as my view of God is one that is just with what I see with my eyes, then I'm probably going to hang on pretty tight. When, when everything about how God works is with what I see, in the people that I see, in the city that I live, when that's all that I think of, then I'm probably going to hang on pretty tight. Because I'm like, hold on a minute, I've got to keep something tight to me that I can see every single day, something good or whatever. But here's what's interesting. This is kind of like the practical side of this is, you know, this gets into our dating lives. Am I going to hang on or let go? I mean, nothing messes up people's spiritual life more than that. Am I going to hang on or am I going to let go? You know, it, it's, I, you know, it was, it was one of those things where it seems that, you know, it, it's always, I always, here's, here's my view. Okay. Let me just give you an opinion right here. Okay. So you can take it or leave it however you want. Here's what I feel about dating should be. Dating should be fun. Make your life happier. Not more complicated. 
Okay, there's not a whole lot to that. I just kind of feel like, listen, we put so much pressure on this idea that we're going to like completely mature one another spiritually and we're going to have like mondo quiet times and everything's going to change. I'm just like, hey, listen, you want to know what? Just do better spiritually. Don't do worse. <laughs> All right. Be single while you're single. Have fun. If you can't do those things, stop dating. Okay. But oftentimes what happens is it's just like I'm going to hang on to this so tightly because I can't let this go. Because I don't trust God is working. I don't trust God is very big. I don't trust God. Let me give you a real example of that, okay? When I was a brand new disciple, I told Chris, who studied the Bible with me, I said, he said, Keith, is there anything you could think of that's gonna, that Satan could tempt you away from the faith? I said, I want to be married. I, got, I was 23 years old, okay? I mean, when I became a disciple, I was a grad student at the time, so it wasn't like I was a 15-year-old, okay? I was like, I'm ready to be married. I'm sick and tired of dating. I, I'm done with it. And I could see God, like, putting someone in my life who was, like, semi-spiritual, that because I would be so scared to not be married that I would latch on to that and hold tight, okay? And that's what I knew. And you know what's funny is, is it's really amazing what Satan did is, Satan put those people in my life. Satan put those people in my life that looked semi-spiritual. And I remember deep inside going, oh, I, but I think they're probably a disciple. But I, I, they, they probably, I, I don't know, and just kind of wrestling with that. When all along what I really want to do is just hang on tight. Yeah. Instead of going, dude, you got to let go. Like you've got to trust that God is working in someone's life. And I remember that's where like I started praying differently. I would pray and I started praying for Abby before I knew Abby. And I was just praying that, okay, God, I know there's someone out there, and here's what I'm praying for them, that you're working in their life. And even if they're not a disciple, that you're doing things. And what happened? That's exactly what happened, right? And it's that idea of just like going, hold on, I have got to let go. I've got to let go. I did that with my parents when my, when my parents started visiting the church, okay, was this idea of I was so scared. That, so that, there's always a couple people in the church, okay, not here over where we were, okay? It's never the case here. <laughs> Okay, there was a couple, and, and they're, I'm not saying anything that they don't already know. They could watch the video. They would crack up at this story. But there was a couple, I said, my parents can never talk to them in the fellowship. Because my parents will stop, be, they will leave church. They will not come back. They will not love Jesus if they talk to this couple, okay? And I spent the first three weeks that my parents, now, mind you, the fact that my parents were even coming to church was a miracle in itself. I mean, God had to break my mom's hip to get her to come to church, okay, literally, all right, because she couldn't drive herself to her own church, so they're here, I mean, this is a miracle already, I should just be like, okay, I'm good, God, I got you, I fully trust you, I'm like, no, 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 I'm hanging on, I've got to steer this ship, and so I spent about three or four weeks in the fellowship, I mean, like a madman trying to steer them, divert them, get them what, I'd see that couple coming up and be like, no, you know, I mean, I'm pushing them away, I'm like, and it got to the fourth week, and I was done. I was tired. I was angry. I was like, this is, I can't do this anymore. Like, I don't know how long I'm going to have to do this. I'm done. And so I'm just like, I give up. And I'm not kidding you. That afternoon, I looked over, and the couple have my parents in the corner. Okay, not even a normal fellowship. They're just like, they're up there, my parents. And I'm going, uh, okay, here we go. Ride home is going to be horrible. This is where my parents tell me they're never going to become disciples. And we were driving down the road, and my dad, of all people, said, you know, this family, 
you know this family? And I said, yeah. And he goes, they're real Christians. <laughs> That's what he said. And I was like, are you kidding me? I've been keeping you from them. <laughs> Like I've been steering. He's like, no, that's they're for real. Like that. I know everyone's for real, but they're for real. And I remember going, oh my goodness, you have got to be kidding me. You have got. But it was that idea. You know, when you hang on tight, you get tired and moody and grumpy and all this kind of stuff. And I had not. I didn't pay attention at all to. to you mean God could work in you know, the Nix's life and all this kind of stuff. You mean that God could do this and that, that he even had been forming my parents long before they moved to Florida to even be open to this family? And I didn't think any of that. And it forced me to just hang on tight and it's so tiring. It, 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 just, it is so tiring with our jobs, with our ambition. Here's a statement oftentimes that may go through our minds. If I don't do this right now, this will never happen. That statement itself makes me anxious, and I don't even know what it means, okay? Because there's no subject in it, okay? If I don't do this right now, this will never happen. That's not a statement of letting go. That's not a statement of expecting the unexpected. That's not a statement of the God of Jacob and Joseph and his grandchildren and Mary and all that kind of stuff. That's not a statement of that. That's a statement of I need to take control and God needs to follow me. If I don't do this right now, this will never happen. Right? That right there, it gives us a little anxiety even to say it. But when we're expecting the unexpected, when we see God how he is, we're able to go, you know what, that's not even true. That's not even true. When it comes to anxiety and depression, um, I I don't know if I'm a super anxious person. I've gone through a few uh, pretty significant episodes of depression, okay? And in every case, it's hopeless. And everything's bad. And nothing is right. And nothing will ever go right. All right? So much of this, what the Bible taught and teaches, helps us. I'm not saying it's a cure. I'm not saying it will change you necessarily biochemically or anything like that. But I'm saying is it's a different mindset. And oftentimes depression and anxiety have to do with faulty mindsets. Like we tell ourselves something over and over and over again, and it's not the right thing, and it does bring us to a place of depression and anxiety. What if we were telling ourselves something else? Like, hold on a minute. If, if God could do this, what if that was the statement? If God can do this, then what? You mean if God could do this thing in Jacob's life, if God could do this thing, and if you want to have some real fun with this, you probably have never read a genealogy in the Bible. That's usually the place, if you're reading through your Bible, that's the place you don't feel guilty skipping. Right? right? It's kind of like there's nothing good in here. Okay? Yeah. Except when you read, like in Matthew and in Luke, when you read Jesus' genealogy, that's this story. It's essentially the story saying, God is going, hold on a minute. I, I worked through the entirety of this person's life and this person's life. Uh, right, is, is going through, I've worked through there. I mean, to read the genealogy, genealogy of Jesus is a very encouraging thing. <laughs> right? It is, and going, you mean, God, you could work through that. L- look over there. Look, look over in Luke. Uh, you know, just from a history perspective, okay? Look over in Luke chapter 3. 
Luke, in verse 24, all right, it starts out with Joseph, but as you go down, when you start looking at it, and not just looking at names, but the lives and the scenarios and the circumstances that went along with these folks. All right, when you look at Nathan, the son of David, that right there. Jesus was in the lineage of David through David's son, Nathan. I always love that because whenever I think of David and Nathan, I think of another story. All right, and, and it wasn't David and his son, Nathan. Do y'all remember that story? When David had committed adultery and was hiding it, and Nathan was like, let me tell you a story, bro. Right, <laughs> right. I'm gonna. You know, it, it was the classic case of like he coaxed him out and then kicked him. Okay, that, that's really what it was. Okay, but I love this because that alone right there puts you in a place of going. But what if you were David? Would you imagine God ever using you? Ever? That's the story that this genealogy is telling us that God didn't just work, but He worked miraculously. That we should expect the unexpected. That through an adulterer and a murderer, that, he, that God was working out this plan that Mary was engaged in in the first century. All right? Mary had no idea. You mean, you, as, a, as a Jewish girl, could you imagine Mary going, you mean all those stories I read? Th- that's where Jesus is coming from? Like all those things happened and they understood the history. Could you imagine one day somebody coming to you and connecting all the dots of everything in your life? The good, the bad, the dirty, the filthy, the clean, the victory, all of those things. Wouldn't that be the greatest thing in the world to go? You remember that happened here, but I was like 40 years before that. I had been like raising this person up over here. And 20 years after that, I raised up. Remember, remember this. Now you were open to this up here a decade later. Would that blow your mind to hear that story? Wouldn't that be amazing to sit there and watch the the pieces being put together? And that's what he's doing in this this genealogy. He's going back to Jesse and Obed and Boaz. Where do you know those names from? Yes, Ruth took place when? When when was the time frame of Ruth? Do you remember? Yes. So in the time of the judges, right? That was all the good news with with Israel, right? That's when Israel was really doing great, huh? In the time of the judges. No, man, the leaders of, of God's movement during the time of Judges were doing things like Samson was a leader. Okay. Mom and dad, why can't I have that prostitute for a wife? Mom and dad, I know I'm not supposed to marry this person, but let me marry this person. Mom and dad, no, I'm not going to tell mom and dad about the honey that's in the lion over there. I'm just going to let them eat, eat something unclean. A very deceptive, worldly guy, Okay. Judges. What about um, Jephthah, right? Y'all remember Jephthah? Okay. Could you imagine that? He went home and he said, God, if you just let me win, the first thing that comes out of my door, I will sacrifice to you. I'm going, unless you got like 50 goats in there, okay, you're going, hold on a minute. My wife and my daughter's in there. And who comes out first? The daughter. And listen, I'm just going to tell you about that story. Don't try to clean that up. All right. He didn't not sacrifice her. I know we try to do that with the Bible. Like, oh, what he really did was send her away on this really great vacation to the Swiss Alps. And no, he didn't. Okay. He killed his daughter. That's how bad the times were. And in those very times, we read about Obed and Boaz and Jesse. Right. We see we see 
the grandparents of King David coming out from that period of time. You see Judah, Jacob, Isaac. I mean, Judah's awesome though, right? Right, Jacob's son Judah. I mean, he was fantastic. I mean, Jesus is from, you know, the line of Judah, right? We sing that. We love that song because Judah was awesome, huh? Right? Did, Judah didn't do anything wrong, huh? Judah was totally clean. He was like a saint, except for his daughter-in-law. Right? What happened with her? Expect the unexpected. You're like, hey, Judah, cruising along, right? It's the idea of, hey, you're right, right? You're putting the pieces together. You're going, oh, there's a prostitute. I'm going to sleep with her. And then it turned out to be his daughter-in-law. And she caught him. Right? Could you imagine that? Hey, here, I'm going to leave my driver's license with you. She's like, seriously, she was like, leave something with me. Okay, so that I know that payment can be delivered and all this kind of stuff. He's like, sure, take these personal items of mine so you'll know and trust me. Okay, it'd be like leaving your driver's license. Okay, and then he goes back and he wants to kill her. A prostitute? Man, she should be. And then, hold on a minute. She said that she has some ID on this guy, and it's right here, and it's him. Good guy, huh? (laughs) Right? He's going, oh my goodness. This is the story that went on. These weren't perfect people. These weren't not far from it, huh? I mean, we're not talking about just having a bad day. When you're going down the road and you get a prostitute and it turns out to be your daughter, that's a bad year, okay? She had children through him, okay? Why do I say all that stuff is because we've got to kind of, for our faith to grow, for us to truly expect the unexpected, is we've got to start connecting the dots and see how God connects the dots. God isn't waiting going, you know who I'm really waiting for is that perfect person that always studies their Bible, that never does anything wrong, that's perfectly prepared, that never, you know, knows the word, knows the works perfectly to men who dream, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. That's who I'm looking for that I'm going to work through, except what we think the people are that God's going to work through tends to be very different than the people that God works through. The way we think the dots should be connected are very different than the way God connects dots. All right. But we've got to see hold on a minute, how do you connect the dots and how do you work and that you're working right now? And we can expect the unexpected, okay? That we can have that. Uh, Is that it? Here's the deal. When all's said and done, Hebrews 11, verse 1, okay? Faith is being sure of what is unseen. That's what faith is. That's really what we're talking about here. It's opening our boundaries and our borders beyond what we just see. Trusting in God who works in the messiest of circumstances. In fact, I think if we were to transport our little church into and amongst what was going on in God's story, they would all go, y'all are pretty clean. (laughs) Y'all got no straight compared to us. You know, you plop us in the middle of the judges, you plop us in the middle of the prophets, you plop us in the middle of Corinth. I bet you anything the Corinthian disciples would be like, y'all are awesome. You could never understand us and our problems. All right. And, And why I say that is because, again, we get very confined to what we see in the short term of our own experience. Uh, We take experience of the last five years and say, okay, that's how I know God is going to work or not work. 
And God is working along the lines of decades and centuries to expect the unexpected. So when we're taking communion today, that's, that's what I want you to think through. That's what I want you to talk about is on, on a spectrum, has, has your faith become, which I feel like very much like mine, which is, can be oftentimes cynical. My faith can be about what I see in front of me. My faith can be about circumstance, like what's happening now. Have you ever done this before? Like when everything's not going your way, it's, it's because God's not with you, right? Have you ever done that before? Ryan, you have. Okay, good. It's, it's, we, oftentimes we think of that of going, okay, if things go my way today, God is with me. And, and can you imagine, what is 24 hours next to all the time that's ever existed in all of humanity? Those are pretty different levels that you're working on okay even if we just use the bible we're talking about maybe 2500 years god working through and what we do is is our faith is determined in hours and days and weeks on if god is with us or not and ultimately here's the other thing is is when you've determined that god is not with you because things aren't going your way does that then spur you on to do better spiritually not usually, okay? Not usually. It's usually like, it's kind of like, man, I mean, here, here's the difference, okay? Because we talked about things being impossible or possible of letting go or hanging on. This also makes a difference on, am I going to give up or persevere? And, and, and believe me, I, I'm telling you, in our own context of church, oftentimes people give up and stay in church. This right here says, no, you can persevere because it's, you're grading on a 24-hour period that God doesn't seem to go by. You're grading things on a week or a month or a year. And if we would do that in the Old Testament, if we went back and took David's life and said, okay, we're going to see if, if God really loves him and we're going to take a year out of his life, it would matter what year we took, right? Yeah. Man, it'd be great the year when he was slaying Goliath. But, but what about the year when he was fighting against Israel? Did, yeah. you, did you know he did that? Yeah. In fact, he wanted to go with the Philistines to destroy his own people. Right. Or what about the year when he didn't want to get caught, and so he pretended to be crazy and just started slobbering down his beard? Would that be the year he would go, yeah, that's the guy, God is with him. <laughs> okay? It's a larger period. Expect the unexpected. Focus on what is unseen. Really take some time and think about this. Is what is God doing now? You know what's funny is, is, there are people that God is working at right now that will be our son and daughters-in-law. <laughs> can, can, you, can you fathom what that looks like in their homes right now? Like what God is doing in their lives, right? Can, can you imagine that God, he's doing that right now? God isn't going, well, when they start really getting interested in dating, then maybe I'll think about it. And, you know, no, man, these things are going on right now. The people that in your family that you want reached, do you believe in any way, shape, or form that God is doing anything in their lives? Right this second. Like that they're hearing and seeing and interacting and circumstantially. Because that's what we see God doing in the Bible, right? That's the way we, that's the God we should be really following faithfully. Not the God who is so fickle that minute to minute, hour to hour, week to week, day to day, whatever it is, is like either I like him or I don't like him or they're not happy but seeing the bigger picture and expecting the unexpected.